Let's go to Second um, Corinthians chapter eight. Ileana, can I go and get water? The wonderful thing about the gospel. Um, I'm going to share just something short about finances and then we're going to get into the word that I've got for today. The wonderful thing about the gospel is that God has not only forgiven our sins, because if only your sins are forgiven, you can still live a very weak life. To be forgiven is wonderful because the consequences of your sins relating to God has been dealt with. But if I am forgiven... um, Let's put it, yeah, let me explain it this way. Say, I wrong my wife frequently and she continues to forgive me. It is good for our relationship in the sense that I will not bear the consequences of what I do. But what would be better is if I could be forgiven and empowered unto the right life. Amen. So, God does not look at us and say, well, I have forgiven you, now you better live the right life. What God has done is, He has forgiven us and set us free by taking the law away. But He also empowered us to have the life of God. That is the wonderful thing. So, we don't have to live with this thing of, well, you know, God has forgiven us, but now we still live in in defeat in our hearts because we cannot be set free from the things that we struggled with when we were in the law. So God came and He has set us free. And what has happened in this, and I want to read from 2 Corinthians 8. um, Sorry, this is the wrong translation. Can't believe it, I forgot my Bible in the aeroplane. You said like it's a bad thing. (laughs) It is. Oh, man. <laughs> you can't buy that Bible in South Africa. It is a, a, a King James, large print. Wide margin. No, with, 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 a, with a, the, the cross-reference, with a thumb, thumb index, with a genuine leather, not the bonded leather. So, you, you fi- don't find it in South Africa. And if you want to import it, it's like 1,300 bucks. I'm going. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, no, they, they never found it. But, but, well, somebody did find it. And with all those notes, they're going to get into grace. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> the name is in it. My name is in there. So, well. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. It says here from verse 1, Moreover, moreover brethren, we do to wit the grace of God bestowed upon the churches in Macedonia. How that they in great trial of affliction, uh, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of li- their liberty. Now this is a very uh, a difficult way of saying a very simple thing. What he was saying is, I want to testify about the grace of God that came upon the churches in Macedonia. And I want to say this in the context of finances, but also in the context of fruit bearing. When God's grace comes upon you, it brings forth the very nature of God. It brings forth that which you've always desired to do. Under the law, it was something you had to do to qualify before God. Under grace, 
Jesus has made us qualified and we were recreated in Christ unto good works. So good works is not the prerequisite for blessing. It is not. It is the blessing that comes our way because of what we've received in Christ. Hallelujah. In, under the law, good works is what you need to do in order to be blessed. Under grace, we've received the righteousness of God as a free gift and the good works is what we receive as well for free. What we've been created into. So, don't try to do good works. Discover who you are and have an expectation for that to manifest in your life. Amen. So when it comes to finances here, it talks about people that were very poor. And Paul uses this and he says, I want to encourage you people that are in, the gr- in, in great prosperity and wealth. Um, because the people in Corinth, they were very rich people. It was a city where there was a lot of trade. People were rich. They knew the grace of God and they were made rich by the grace of God in finances. But then he says that these people, the grace of God, enriched them unto something else. And what God has enriched them unto was good works, even if they were poor. So what he says here is, we want to testify about the liberty that these people had under the grace of God while they were poor. They even gave out of their poverty to the point that we said, please stop. If you read on. So, he said that uh, they were liberated, not they were free from the law. You know, by grace, by grace, we're not under the law anymore. We are now under grace and the influence of God. But they were, they were so set free that not even their poverty could keep them back from the liberty that they had. And they had the liberty to see God living in them. Where under the law you don't have that liberty. You are bound to see sin manifest in your life. For the Bible says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Amen. So, I want to say to you, when it comes to finances, and it comes to giving, and there are people here from different churches, I'm not trying to get money for myself. I'm trying to just teach you uh, how this works with God working in us. God will work in your heart to live the very nature of God inside you. And when you, and, and the Bible says, let's make our members available for His righteousness. Because when we were under the law and in sin before we got saved, we made our members, our body, available for unrighteousness. So, you, you, you weren't saved, you were thinking of unrighteous things, and then you made your body available for whatsoever came up in your heart. When something negative came up in your heart to maybe cheat on this person, or to steal that, or to swear here, or not to be faithful there, or to be, um, you know, at work to, 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 to cheat on your time slip, or whatever, you did it with eagerness. And you were, you've made your body and your works available for what was in your heart. In the same way, Paul says, now that you are righteous, now that you are holy, let's make our lives available for that. And I've said that to God. I said, God, my actions, I make available to you. If I feel in my heart I want to be good to somebody, I'm going to be good to him. Because that is what you work in me. Hallelujah. If I feel not to be angry, I'm not going to meditate upon how wrong the other person is until I find anger in my heart. 
I've seen it so many times, you know, in my own life. Then somebody would wrong me and I wouldn't even feel angry. But then you think the normal thing to do now is to be angry. And then you start to think on the thing until you find anger coming up in your heart. No man, be who you are. Hallelujah. God has made you righteous. He's forgiven your sins. He's given you the Holy Spirit and He has set you free. And we walk in the freedom that Christ has given us and in the liberty that Christ has given us. You know, uh, um, Tanzel and I, we've been talking about uh, the message of grace and the message of God's unconditional love. And we've said that, you know, we, we are so scared to speak on good works because of the bad taste that there has been in, in our mouths because of people abusing good works to see their own dreams fulfilled. Now, and I'm talking about pastors and leaders. They're so scared somebody in church is going to sin that they preach the, the, you must live right, you must do right, you must give your money, you must tithe, you must sow and reap, you must do all those type of things so that they can feel they are successful. And people has been abused and people has been hurt through that. But it doesn't take away the fact that God brings forth good works in us. It's like, go and read the writings of Paul. The first three chapters of all of his letters is about what Christ has done for us. And the last part of his writings is on how that manifests in our lives. Amen. If you come to me and say to me, Bertha, you know God has forgiven you. You, can, you, you are forgiven. That blesses me. And I'm happy for that. But what makes me just as happy is if you tell me that He empowers you now unto a new life. That you don't have to live under this bondage again. If I've been always, if I always had these bad thoughts about people, always negative and struggle with depression, and I come to you and I say to you, God loves you, He forgives you just the way you are. That's fine. And God does that. But what would be a very big blessing to you is if I say to you, but this love empowers you never to be depressed again. For God loves you so much that He also sets you free from that which is a burden in your own life. Hallelujah. So in the same when it comes to finances, we can be set free from fear. Not fearing. Doesn't matter what the bank says. Doesn't matter what your, your boss says. You can really love Free from fear. Amen. And inside our hearts, we've been created in the very image and the likeness of God, which is givers, to give. And like I said this morning, maybe there are people that are very rich. You know, God tells you, listen, pay for the university of that person next door. Or um, help make a payment on a car for that person or whatever. Live in the liberty with which Christ has set you free. You are now free to do it. You are free to do that. Under the law, we weren't free. We always felt like sinners. We felt like we can never, we can never do it. We can never make it. But God, His nature works in us and let's make our members available to that. And let's not have our mind say, but we have already done that and we have already done that. Imagine I say in my heart, no, well, I'm not going to preach there because I've already been to Kenya. So I'm not going to preach here today. I mean, I've just preached... Uh, 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 every day, two times. And I, I, I tell you, I came back, I was so tired. <laughs> I wonder if I've ever been so tired. Uh, I, I came back, I had two days of rest, thank God, and now I can preach again. I'm not going to say, well, I can't preach because I have preached there. God continues to live in us. 
He can't stop. We can't stop to live a good life. Because God does not die. He lives in us. The focus is not, I must live. The focus is, God now lives in me. Amen. Hallelujah. And when it comes to finances and giving, if you feel generosity in your heart, just live that generosity. Be free. Say, thank you God. I'm a free person. I've been set free from being stingy. I'm set free from fear. I'm set free from the bondage that the world puts upon me. And I can do what I always wanted to do in my heart. When we were under the law, we always wanted to give, but we couldn't. In the New Testament, we've now been recreated in Christ unto good works. And we can do what God tells us to do. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Let's just pray. Father, I want to thank you for this awesome truth that sets us free. Thank you, Lord, that, I, that we have the liberty and the freedom unto holiness. Thank you, my God, that we are enslaved unto righteousness. As we were enslaved unto sin, unto death, we are slay, enslaved under your righteousness. Lord, where your Spirit works so powerfully in us that we cannot but see Christ manifest in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Right. Man, to me, that is a good way of speaking about money. Because it doesn't condemn anybody. It doesn't force anybody. It allows you to be who you are. Hallelujah. Let's go to... Um, I'm going to speak on the love of God. So, you know, it's important that we feel loved. If, you know, so many times we say, you know, I, uh, the love of God is just the beginning of the gospel. We want something real deep, you know. Now imagine my wife comes to me after 15 years and hugs me and say, you know, Bertie, I really love you. And I say to her, man, you have told me that before. Tell me something deep. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> and so many times it comes to the love of God, we think, you know, yeah, that's just the shallow things of the gospel. Tell me something deep. I need a deeper revelation. There is no deeper revelation. It's the deepest revelation you can ever find. It is God's love for man. You know, the, the most powerful force in existence is God's love for you. It's not how much you love your neighbor. Let me tell you, the love that you have for your neighbor does, it is a force towards you. Because it preaches to you. Giving in a church does influence you and the other person. Because when you do it, that work speaks to you and tells you, God is alive in me. But the greatest force ever is how much God loves you. The greatest commitment towards God is born out of a revelation of His unconditional love towards you. And when I talk about unconditional, I mean there's no conditions which God says you must meet in order for Him to manifest and show His love towards you. Under the law, people had to go through tests, you know. There was, there was ten commandments or even more and you had to obey those commandments and once you qualify then the blessing or the righteousness of the law is imputed to you and you were seen as blessed. That's why the Jewish people, like preached here before, um, uh, uh, Jesus came and said, it's almost impossible for a rich man 
to enter into the kingdom of God. Then, the, then Peter then said, now who can then be saved? Now what, was, what, what he actually said was, under the law it was believed that if you obey according to Deuteronomy 28, all the commandments, then you will be blessed in your house, you will be prosperous, everything will be blessed, you will be so rich. Then Jesus said, it's impossible for a rich man, or he said it's very difficult, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Then Peter said, now, who then can be saved? Because the person that obeyed the whole law is rich, and he doesn't even qualify. So who now is going to be saved? Then Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Hallelujah. So by your own works, you can never qualify for any of the blessings of God. Never, ever, ever can you ever qualify for any of the blessings of God by your works. But I can tell you this, by what Jesus has done, all things are possible, and it's possible for God to justify an ungodly person. And that is God's love towards us. And it's unconditional, for God showed that love to us while we were sinners, not even accepting the sacrifice of Christ. So if God, while we were sinners, even not knowing or accepting His sacrifice, how much more will He not with Christ give us all things? And now that we've come to faith, know that in the last day judgment we will receive our immortal bodies, not standing guilty before God. Our sins, if, if, if it comes to the blessing of God, our sin has been part of the equation. But the way it was part of the equation was that God removed it so that the blessing can rest upon us, free from our works. Amen. That is the love of God. The most powerful commitment that you can ever find in the heart of a man towards God is in the heart of a person, in the life of a person that's got a revelation of how much God loves him unconditionally. I've always, when, when, when Lady Diana was still alive, I always used this. Lady Di left Prince Charles because there was somebody else where she found love. It was love. If, now, now, I don't want to make something bad good, but hear what I'm saying. It was love that has drawn her away. If the gardener would have loved her, she would have gone away with the gardener. Love will guide you. And love will make you leave a prince and walk away with a gardener. Look at all these love stories that you find. You know, it's always like that. Love is what guides you. Love is what brings commitment. The reason why Helena and I are together today after 15 years is not because we've made a commitment 15 years ago in front of a, a, a dwemany or a pastor, saying, well, I promise to be with you. I'm not with her because I've promised to be with her. Because my commitment, if there was no love in this relationship, would never have possessed the power to stay with her, or she with me. What keeps us together is His love, or our love for each other. What keeps us together with God, and in commitment to God, is His love for us. So the moment we change our focus away from His unconditional love towards us, we automatically fall into self-effort trying to serve God.
and it will not last. It will make you tired. Amen. And now we can go to, to um, Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. <clears throat> 16 verses 6 in the message translation. This is really a powerful scripture that we can meditate upon. <clears throat> you know, when I was in this conference, I've just seen again the power of hearing His Word. We, you just hear it. You, know, you don't try to do it. You just hear it. And you just find things in your life you know, that you've been struggling with maybe or you wish it wasn't there. Just disappearing. Not because you are trying to stop it, but because the Word is alive in your heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Right. Proverbs 16 from verse 6. It says, By mercy and love, truth and fidelity, iniquity is purged out of the heart. And by the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord, men depart and avoid evil. Now, let's read it again. By mercy and love, truth and fidelity, iniquity is purged. What takes iniquity and sin out of our hearts is by mercy, it's mercy, truth and fidelity. That takes sin from a person. So, if you think of your own life, what you need to hear and what you need your heart to be saturated with and your mind to be saturated with is His mercy. The only way you're going to have a life not just victorious in Christ, but also victorious in manifestation, is when you ponder upon His mercy. And His mercy, the mercy of God, is the ability of God to treat you better than what you deserve. When you can meditate and ponder upon the fact that He treats me always better than what I deserve. He loves me without without taking into account what I've done for Him. That must be part of our relationship with God all the time. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy and help in the time of need. And God's throne, the Bible says, if you, if you look at the Ark of the Covenant, there was a mercy seat and in the cherubim and God came and He would sit down on the mercy seat. So God's platform from where He has a relationship with anybody is mercy. What it's actually saying is, if, if you don't allow me to treat you better than what you deserve, we cannot have a relationship. Because that's the platform from where I have a relationship with you. As ek jou nie kan beter behandel as wat jy toekom nie, dan gaan ek jou verstreer, want ek is die levende God wat net dit doen. So if mercy frustrates you, you're never going to have a relationship with God. For He is merciful. That is what He is. He's merciful. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> it's like the one guy he preached and he talked, uh, 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 Tanzel told me about this, he talked about awesome. You know, and he's an Afrikaanse man. He can net Afrikaans praat. He, ca- he cannot speak English. Now he must preach. Now he uses his word, he wants to say, uh, uh, I, I, I will say, God is an awesome God, you know. And then he said, our God is a... No, I, I must first say the other part. He said, um, God, he, he says, God came to give us life, and they wanted to say immortality. Then he said, God came to give us life and immorality. 
And he was just hammering it away. God gives us life and immorality. Hallelujah. He's bringing back immorality to the church. You know, so, and he was ha- hammering. And, and the people think, but you have recalled, you didn't understand. And then he says, our God, and he wanted to say, awesome. Then he said, our God is an awful God. Hallelujah. So, <laughs> well, so the other guy said, well, um, he's wrong, but still in context. So, <laughs> Because he said, no, awesome. He said, he, he couldn't think awesome. Because some means just some. It must be full. God is full of all. So it's an all full God. <laughs> so that's if Afrikaans guy really wants to speak English and he can't. <laughs> so <laughs> our God is full of mercy. He's a merciful God. There's no place for anything else. Whenever you come to His throne, He's just full of mercy. He's full of the ability to treat you better than what you deserve. If you come to God and you've lost your job or you, you, you got, went through a divorce or whatever, let me tell you something. He has not changed. You come to a God that is full of mercy. And if you in your heart does not have the capacity to say, I am going to a God of mercy. You're going to struggle to hear what He says. Because He's broadcasting on Mercy FM. And if you are tuned into Condemnation FM, you're not going to hear His voice. Amen. That is as simple as that. He is broadcasting on Channel Love, Channel Mercy, Channel No Condemnation. Channel unconditional love. That's where he's broadcasting. And we must tune in there to hear the voice of God. And one thing we must take into consideration and realize is the awesomeness of the power of God's manifestation of life, of of love in the cross. When Adam sinned, it was not a small thing. It was not a small thing. And and, and there there, there are this mindset these days where we see that um, it's as if Adam's sin never played a role. It was just nothing. It wasn't just nothing. It cost God to change that thing around. It cost the life of, of God Himself. If Jesus would have sinned when He was on earth, then we could never be saved. That is how great the thing was that Adam did. The smaller you make the thing Adam did, the smaller you make what Jesus had to do on earth. Adam came and he sinned, and we were lost in our sins, never to be saved, but there was only one plan that God had from before the foundation of the world, and that is that my people will be before me holy and blameless above reproach in Jesus Christ. And he said that I will place my son and I'll make it possible for people to be holy, blameless, above reproach before me. And that is the way we've got a relationship with God. God said, I'm never going to have a relationship with people in sin. So I will remove their sins. So that they can communicate with me on the same level as what I am. Therefore, He sent His Son, Jesus, so that we can have a relationship with Him from a mindset of no consciousness of sin but a consciousness of righteousness. For that is what He gave us. Amen. 
Because He decided. You know, so many times we think, well, I have sinned and that's now what it is. I, I, I still come with this consciousness of sin before God. God has not chosen you to have a consciousness of sin. God has chosen you, according to Ephesians, to be holy and blameless before Him in love. And we have been predestined by God so that we, in Christ, can stand holy before Him. All our sins washed away. And that's what we tell the world out there. Jesus has paid for all your sin. And the thing by which you were found guilty, which is the law of Moses, has been removed so that you can now boldly come to God and receive your salvation. Amen. We've been saved from the pathway that says through the law you'll be justified. And we've given a new pathway which is Jesus. Therefore the Bible says, come to the light so that you can be enlightened. Amen. So, that's why we can tell the world when I preach in that conference, when I preach in a a gospel outreaches and crusades where there are many people that's never heard about what Jesus done for them, still living in their sins, I come and I declare to them and say, my friend, I want to tell you that which brought a separation between you and God, which was the law. We must know this, it's the law. By the law there was a separation between us and God, for we could never fulfill the requirement of the law. And because you could not fulfill the requirement of the law, you were never to the standard that you could communicate with God. So God said, let me come and fulfill the law and take it out of the way so there can be a new living way by which you now can come to God. So I tell people, God has come close to you, but don't you now want to come close to God? God has reconciled Himself with you. Be ye now reconciled. And I want to explain that. If, if, uh, if a husband and a wife um, had a massive fight and they separated from each other and then the wife decides to forgive the husband and she writes a letter and says, my husband, I'm sorry for what happened and I ask you for forgiveness and I extend my forgiveness towards you. She has reconciled him unto her and that is what Jesus has done to the whole world. To the sinner out there. He's reconciled even the sinner unto him. But what we do now as ambassadors of God, we are pleading with people, be ye now reconciled. Accept this hand of friendship that is being extended towards you. That would be reconciled in the English. There's actually not a word for that would be. In Afrikaans, there's a word for it. It says, Laat jylle dan versoen met God. Laat be. Be, there's two, be is two things. To be, you know, just the way you are, to be. And to be, in other words, to become. Become is also not the right word. That would be in Afrikaans. In Afrikaans is the word lot. Lot jylle met God versoen. So in other words, listen, God has reconciled the whole world unto Himself by taking the law out of the way and not imputing their trespasses against them. For God to have reconciled the sinner unto Him, He did not have to... He had to to not impute their trespasses against them, meaning that they had to have trespasses. So it is not towards those that have confessed their sins and don't have trespasses. God says, I've reconciled sinners unto me. Sinners. And that's the gospel we preach to the lost. We tell them God has come and, and, and taken away all distance between you and Him. 
And all that we tell you now is, accept His hand extended to you, and in your heart see what is done, and believe upon what is done, and you shall be saved. The Bible says, how can we be saved if we have not called upon, called upon the name of the Lord? So we must bring forth His name, which, what is His name? He says, you shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. So you must preach a God that has saved people from their sin. The way God has saved people from their sin is not by making you stop your sins, it's by taking away that which makes you a sinner, which is the law. If I today, say there are many sinners today breaking the speed limit, if I want to make them not a sinner in one second, and not have one sinner concerning speed in South Africa, I just change the law and say, there's no more speed limit. Then there's no more sinner. Because the law has been taken away. And now they will not be afraid of the police officer. And now they can come to the police officer and speak to him. Where normally they'll run away from the police officer. Because of the law and the guilt in their heart. So what God has done is taken away the law. So that you don't stand guilty before God. So that you can come to him now and be saved. By receiving the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isn't that a simplicity of the gospel? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 that I am scared that you will be cheated or, 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 or misled like Eve from the simplicity of the gospel. That's what Paul said. What was the simplicity of the gospel that Eve got misled um, into? She, she got misled by thinking that what God says about her is not true. You must become like God. But she was like God. Amen. You became righteous. You became holy in the blood of Jesus Christ. If you believe this, the truth of what Christ has done is manifest in your life and the spirit that you have inside you is the proof that you are saved. Amen. And all that we can do is say, My God, I thank you that this truth is inside me. You know the church in Corinth said this, Paul wrote this to them in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, I came to you and I preached to you. And when I preached to you, you received this gospel. And listen to this. In all wisdom and understanding. And you came short in no gift. Only waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. So what he was saying is, after we've preached to you in that week or two or month that we've been there, you've reached the place where a Christian can go. You couldn't go any higher. Now, we always think, well, there's always a higher place. No, no, the church in Corinth, after, after they've received the gospel of, that Paul preached to them, and they believed on the gospel, received the Holy Spirit, they came short in no gift, no knowledge. Paul said, I couldn't even add anything to you. The only thing that you needed was an immortal body, which you will receive in the, in the return of Jesus Christ. So they were just waiting for Jesus to come. Because they've reached perfection. The church in Corinth. Imagine that. And what has happened is we live with this thing of the love of God is this mystic thing that somewhere we need to get to some level or some place that we don't even know where it is that God wants us sometime. No, no. When you've believed on Jesus and you understand what is done for you in the cross, making you righteous, my friend, you've reached the place where God wants you. And the whole thing about the gospel is to stay there. 
and not to fall in, un, in any other law system trying to add to yourself. Remember what the Bible says in the book of Revelation. The, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it reveals Christ, what He's done for us. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's the revelation of Jesus. Amen. So when you read the book of Revelation, don't see the Antichrist. You must see Christ. For it reveals who Jesus is. You can go and read on every page. Basically it says, and I saw a lamb as if he was slain. To me, uh, you can differ from me, but this is what I think. The, the book of Revelation speaks of the crucifixion of Christ. So, I can't, I, I can't explain every verse in there, because it's all types and shadows and uh, monsters and dragons and whatever. But I know one thing, it is the revelation of Jesus. It reveals Christ. So, when you see that, you must see, well, I see awesome Jesus, you know, and what is done for me. Whenever we read a scripture, what we must read is and see is Christ. What He's done for us, who He is. When you've reached that place, when you've seen what Christ has done for you, that is the place where you need to stay. And that book says, if anybody add anything to this book, to him the plagues will be added. So what does that mean? That means if you add anything to the revelation of Jesus. What is the revelation of Jesus? Jesus Jesus was revealed God in human flesh and what He brought for the human race by what He's done on earth for you. I'll get a bit more into that. If we want to add something to that and say, well, when you believe in Jesus, you've been made righteous, but remember, you still need to do this and this and this. You are adding to the revelation of Christ and the plagues shall be added to you, not because God is adding the plagues, but because you are adding laws, and through the law is knowledge of sin, and cursed is every man that's under the law. Then it says, if you take anything away (laughs) of this revelation of Jesus, your book will be, your name will be removed from the Lamb's book of life. There's no other way. The only way unto salvation is Jesus. It's Jesus. Belief on what is done for the human race. So that whosoever believes can partake in this way. Isn't that awesome? So it says, by mercy and truth. Mercy, truth, and fidelity or faithfulness. Another word for fidelity is to be safe. You know, fidelity guards to be safe. Your money is safe. Safeguarding. Through mercy and truth and feeling safe, sin is purged from the heart of a man. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? The more we ponder upon think upon and understand His ability to treat you better than you deserve, my friend. The more you'll find iniquity being purged from your heart. Now I want to just say what iniquity is. Iniquity, the Bible says, talks about Satan, it says iniquity was found in him. What was iniquity? Iniquity was the desire to be like God by your own works. Now remember, for those of you that are first time Here, when God made Adam, He made him in His image and in His likeness. And He wasn't threatened with Adam being in the likeness of God. 
But when God, when Adam said, I'm going to be like God, not by the Holy Spirit that indwells me, but by eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that, mean, that meant that he would have been a God, not on the basis of God indwelling him, but on his own ability to obey commands or do the right thing. So, that is iniquity. Iniquity is to say, uh, um, I, uh, let me put it this way. If I come to you and I know you can, you can never afford a car, and I say to you, listen, I want to buy you a car. And you say, that's fine, I'll buy my own car. What you're actually saying is, I don't need you to do this for me. My own ability can do it for me. And that's iniquity. Now, in, in a normal sense, I'm just using that example, speaking as a man. But let's take this to God, because there's, there's, place, there's, a, there's a place where it's not good for somebody to buy you a car, because he'll manipulate you for the rest of your life. You know, so, uh, I see the balance, but, <clears throat> but just hear this. And the same with God. Iniquity was when God made Adam and said, you are righteous, because I made you righteous. Then Adam said, thank you for righteousness, I agree, righteousness is good, but I'll reach it. By my own ability. I'll buy it for myself. That's iniquity. That was found in Satan. That's where it comes from. Now it says, through mercy and truth, iniquity will be purged from your heart. When you hear the true gospel, the thing of I want self, and the law, and by my own works, and judging people according to their works, will fall from you. But it must be mercy. The message of mercy. The message of truth. Remember the, the definition for truth? What is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So truth is Jesus. The Bible says, the true worshippers, or the worshippers that worships in truth, shall have no more conscience of sin. Hebrews chapter 10. So when we talk about truth, we talk about Jesus... To the point that we've got no more consciousness of sin, but a consciousness of Jesus. Hallelujah. And our true holiness in Christ. That is what it talks about. So, through mercy, God treating you better than you deserve, to the point that you don't walk with a consciousness of sin, and the place where you feel, in a, feel this is a safe environment, iniquity will be purged from your heart. And as a man believes in his heart, so easy. Okay? Now, there are people that, that say that's not true, but there's a scripture like that, and it talks about the actions in life. It doesn't talk about that's how you are before God. But as you believe, when, when you can believe God is merciful, when you can believe that God doesn't walk with His consciousness of your sin, when you can believe that He's taking your sin away in Jesus Christ and make use of Christ, and you can know that you're in a safe place, where God is not about to blow out your sin to the whole world to disgrace you. We're in a safe place where you can come before God with peace, knowing He will never push you away, but always accept you. That will take away that law mindset in your heart. Because the mindset of law is what brings forth sin. You might say, but badly, how can the law bring sin? Because the law is holy, the law is righteous. Paul said clearly, he said that I found another law. And this is the law. That if I want to do good, then evil is with me. 
And then he talks about being under the law. If I'm under the law, and then he says, I never knew desire until the law came that said, you shall not desire. But when that law came, and then I tried not to desire, I found all manner, and, and, and the literal Greek there says, evil lust in my life. That's the Apostle Paul. And then he wrote a law that says, I found that God then gave the law and the commandments so that sin could become more. It was never known in the Old Testament that the commandment was given so that sin can become more. It wasn't known. Nobody knew it. Not Peter, not James, John, nobody knew that. Paul discovered that. And he that came to this revelation that this commandment was added for transgression so that sin could abound. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Amen. Then it says, Shall we continue under the law that sin might abound so that grace may abound? No. For the law has been taken away. And when the law was taken away, the power of sin in your flesh has been broken. And you can live a holy life. Isn't that wonderful? The thing that empowered sin in your life was taken away. So that there is nothing that empowers sin anymore. Hallelujah. So the more merciful you can see God, the better for you. The more you can see the truth of the gospel, that you can come before God without a consciousness of sin, a consciousness of shortcoming or a consciousness of a standard of requirement that you must meet to qualify for anything of the nature and the blessing of God. The more you can come and know that that is a safe place, the holier life you will live and the better for you. Amen. Isn't that awesome? The word love, I've mentioned it last time here in the Bible, is the word agape. It consists out of two words. Agapeo. Aga and peo. Aga means to lead. Peo means to rest. Isn't that awesome? Agape. To lead to rest. That is God, the God kind of life. The God kind of life doesn't lead you into performance. It leads you to a place of rest. That's why it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. Speaks of the character of God. The type of God that He is. He leads me beside the still waters. He gives me rest for my soul. He prepares a table in front of my enemies. Isn't it? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 23. So, the love of God, the agape love of God, is the, is the, is the person of God that leads you to a place of rest. Now, the sin that was punished first in the Old Testament, the first sin that was ever punished where somebody was stoned after the law was given, was somebody was stoned when he worked on the Sabbath. That was the first. It wasn't adultery or anything like that, stealing. Somebody worked. He picked up sticks. And then God said, throw him with stones. And they killed him. Now, what does that say? That says that there's a Sabbath of God. God's biggest, I would say even today we find people struggling with the Sabbath law. They want to obey the Sabbath. And because there is such, and I understand why they want to do it, because there was such a great emphasis in the Old Testament on the Sabbath law. 
Because that was the greatest thing that there ever was and will be is the Sabbath rest of God. The place where we aren't justified by our works. Where we don't have to work but where God has worked in six days and the seventh day rested. You know, uh, there was a wonderful thing. You know, in Jericho, the walls of Jericho, the people had to walk around the walls for six days and not say a word. On the seventh day, they all shouted as one man and the walls came down. In six days, God made the heaven and the earth. In six days, God worked. In the seventh day, all you do is you declare the work of God and the walls come down. Amen. Isn't that the gospel? That's the gospel of Jesus. You know, in six days, the work time, he said, be quiet. Because in the time of work, there's no word of God. For that is not the word of God. Your work is not God's word. They just walked and nobody was allowed to say one word. Nothing. You had to be quiet. On the seventh day, after the work is done, there was a word. So I want to say to you, under the law system, there is no word. There's no word from God. But after Jesus has worked, after the man Jesus has worked, and everything has been created by the one man Jesus for us to be saved, and he was taken up into heaven, after he said on the cross, it is finished, he was taken up into heaven, the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was a word that made the wall of separation come down. Which we declare today. We don't work. We declare His work. Amen. And we stand in the, in the faith of what He has done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Amen. We stand in that. And we continue in that. And we're not going to change. We stand in that. And I tell you, it's like I said, if, if we are the only people believing this, that's fine. All it is, if you've got a big church or ministry with thousands of followers and you're not preaching this, you are very successful in being unsuccessful. That's all it is. It's not a sign of anything. And please hear what I'm saying. You know, let's take the Muslim people. They are very successful in what they do. But they're very unsuccessful when it comes to the cross of Jesus and salvation. In Hebrews, uh, Romans chapter 10, Paul says, talk about the Jews. He says, I bear witness that they've got a great zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They've got, that is netukiert. It's wrong. What they've got there is not right. So I want to say to you, you know, that we can rest our mind in this unconditional love of God. We can rest our mind in the fact that God is a God of agape, that has come to lead us to rest. So, uh, if you take Mary and Martha, the Bible says, Jesus spoke to, about Mary and He said, she was troubled by much serving. Imagine! Troubled by much serving. God didn't say she was blessed with a gift. He said she was troubled by, yeah, Martha, by, by much serving. And then Mary, what did she do? She sat at the feet of Jesus. 
Now, what does that mean? You know, so many times we say, no, I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do nothing. That's not what it means. What it means is, she found her rest at the walk of Christ. She sat at His feet. What does that mean? What is, it, what, what, what is the typology in that? It is, she sat at the feet of Jesus. His walk was what she sat at. She said, at His walk I find my rest. I'm not going to by my walk find any rest or prosperity or blessing, but I rest in His walk on my behalf. For He has loved me. He has loved me. I want to tell you people, this is the love of God. This is not just a message. It is too high for a human mind to think of such a philosophy. A human mind cannot think of this. The Bible states that in 2 Corinthians. What, we could, what couldn't even come into our minds, what we couldn't think of, He is now revealing by the Holy Spirit unto us the very depths of God. He says, no, nobody knows what's in a man except the Spirit of a man. So no one knows what is inside God except the Spirit of God. And He is declaring it to us. So that we can know the very depths of God. And the very depths of God is this gospel. Of His unconditional love for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So know this. This is the agape love of God. This agape love of God is so God-like. It's so full of God. That in 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says, from verse 4 and 5, it says that even if I have faith to move a mountain, even if I can speak with tongues of men and angels and I don't have the agape of God, I'm nothing. The existence of who we are is found in the place where we've been led to rest. Even if I can prophesy, but it's not from the place of rest. It's not from the place of the finished work of the cross. But it's again a prophecy that I must prophesy to find favor with God or favor with man. If I do a miracle so that I can try and promote my ministry to be something somewhere again, I, in God's eyes, am nothing. I am just nothing. For what makes me who I am is this ministration of being led to the place of rest. Hallelujah. The, the real you only starts to grow and gets born the moment you get into rest. Where you rest from your works to be righteous before God. But when you can accept His work for your righteousness. Amen. He's died for me, therefore I'm dead. He's resurrected, therefore I'm resurrected in a new life. He's come to give us life. He's come to give us hope. Amen. I want to tell you, I don't want to put a sense of death upon us, but this gospel belongs to every man. It's not my gospel and only your gospel. It's the gospel of your neighbor. For God has reconciled him unto his God to God. But he's ignorant of the reconciliation of God. Therefore, he cannot come to the decision and the place where he says, I accept his hand extended to me. And that he can be reconciled from his side. It belongs to every person. You know, today, my, 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 I spoke to Aubrey, my oldest son, and said, you know, the reason why we preach this gospel is for what God has done. It belongs to every man. 
That's why I've left my job. I want to preach this gospel. Because people need to hear this. Amen. That's why you are where you are in your work. You've got the friends that you have. I believe it's orchestrated of God. Because it's a perfect setup where God sits with this gospel invested in you. Where you can simply share about the reconciliation. But what makes it, what makes it difficult for us to preach the gospel is because we think people, when they hear the name Jesus, you know, it, they are scared, the walls are up, because they're now going to be condemned. But when we come with this gospel, I tell you, they want to hear. They want to hear. Man, that's awesome. If you go to somebody, even in the street, you know, in South Africa, it, um, it is not that easy with, with our culture. But if you go in other countries, um, it's easier because that's, that's more of the culture. You can speak on, evangelists pre- preach on street corners. That's what they do. So if you go to somebody on a bus or whatever and tell him, listen, I've got a message for you. Do you know what? God's not angry with you. He hasn't been for 2,000 years. And guess what? He will never be angry with you. For He has removed whatsoever made you guilty before God. Do you know that He's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west? The moment you start to speak that to people, their hearts are just wide open. They don't want to put up a wall because they want to hear this good news. Amen. For it belongs to them. It's the gospel for all people. Hallelujah. So I want to tell you, you know, whatever comes up in your heart to share or speak or send an email or send a letter or whatever, a CD to somebody, do it. It is God living in you, my friend. Amen. Hallelujah. Man, I'm enjoying myself now. I hope you don't want me to stop. Thank you, Jesus. The word word love also means, um, I've mentioned it before, but I want to say it again. The, lo- the word love in, in the Hebrew language is the Hebrew word agap, which means to breathe after or to lose your breath. Amen. It's literally used in the, in the Hebrew sense of seeing a very beautiful woman. You see my girl and you didn't breathe. You were supposed to breathe there. But you just skipped one or two. You know, and then you say, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, I, I don't know how to use the example for woman towards men now. I only know from man towards men. My wife can maybe. <laughs> when she saw me the first time. Did you skip a breath? She became blue in the face, man. She, she <laughs> then I had to give her some mouth to mouth, you know. <laughs> Amen. Oh man, you're so spot on there. <laughs> oh, I'm not good with this stuff. Oh, Andres Blusko. <laughs> and Loren. It seems to me the same thing happened there. <laughs> so, that's what agape means. It's literally to lose your breath, to breathe after. To see somebody beautiful. You know, and that is what God saw in you while you were a sinner. You could see the beauty of you in His finished work. Amen. Hallelujah. So we don't have to come with this mindset of, I am, 
uh, 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 this dirty scumbag. That's not who you are. If you believe that, you are in the minority. Because God does not believe that. And He's not wrong. Amen. You've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why did His blood flow? If it didn't have an impact on you. If it was only for certain people. It's like like Francois Latoy says. He says, the best news is not good news if it doesn't include you. The best news is bad news if it doesn't include you. So I want to say the worst sinner, maybe you are here, you, you think of things that you've done, I want to tell you this good news includes you. He's paid for your sin. He's been, he, he was punished for your sin. So that you tonight can stand righteous before God. And now you can say, through Jesus, I call, upon, I call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. I receive what is done for me. And you can be saved. Hallelujah. Free from trying to do any good thing. And then, as you discover who you are, you will find iniquity being purged from you and holiness manifesting in you, for you've been created in Christ unto that. Hallelujah. The word agape also means to be content with. Now, to me, that is, when I say those words, I want to cry. To be content with someone. Content, according to the Webster's, means seeing no need to add anything. Now imagine that. In Christ Jesus, when God looks at you, He's content. It says, in, in, um, let me just read to you the, this emotion. Um, it was written down in... Um, Zephaniah 3 verse 17. It says, The Lord your God, it's in the Amplified, is in the midst of you. A mighty one, a Savior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. Now, yes, contentment. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And in His love, He will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. Just so satisfied that is quiet. Afrikaans stil tevrede. Huh? Isn't that beautiful? Man, Afrikaans language says it just better. Stil tevrede. That was Ephraim 3.17. I stil tevrede. He is silent satisfaction. You will make no mention of persons. For it is not even needed to add anything to you of knowledge of persons. God says He'll make no mention of Parsons because it's not needed for you to have any knowledge of it. We don't need any knowledge of our Parsons. The only knowledge we need is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In John 13, you, you remember the story where Peter came and he said, I will die with you, Jesus, so that I can go with you and be where you are. Then Jesus said, the, uh, uh, the rooster will, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Then chapter 14 verse 1, it just continues straight on. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. You believe in God, believe also in me. So, what is a troubled heart? A troubled heart is a heart that says, I need to do something and sacrifice so that I can be where Jesus is. Let me say it again. Peter came and he said, Jesus, I will die. 
to go and be with you because he knew Jesus was going to die. Then Jesus said, listen, your heart is troubled. You don't have to sacrifice to get you to the place where I am. He says, you believe in God, but believe in me that I can take you to the place where I am. So that it will be by His sacrifice we will be where He is. And not by our sacrifice we will be where He is. In, and that's why people struggle. In the Old Testament, giving and love and all those things were sacrifices to get unto the place. Under the New Testament, it's not a sacrifice anymore. And I want to say to you as New Testament believers and believers of the grace of God, when we were under the law, the good works that we did gave us a bitter taste in our mouth because it was never good enough. Because it was a sacrifice to get to a place. But in the New Testament, it's not a sacrifice anymore. A good work does not give you a bitter taste, but a sweet taste, for it is the outflow of God inside you. It's the only way in which God can manifest Himself in you. There's two ways in which God's going to manifest Himself. And that is, through your works, and your love, and by making your body immortal, in the return of Jesus Christ. So, while we are not immortal, we make our works available to God. Say, God, here is where you can manifest yourself. I am God's opportunity today. You are God's opportunity where you are. To see God live in human flesh. Amen. That's what you are. So we are not scared of good works anymore. We are saying, my God, you, have, you sit in silent satisfaction concerning works. You are in silent satisfaction when it comes to past sins. For you are content with us. Just imagine you come up to a God that doesn't want to add anything to you. For He is beholding your beauty. To the point that he loses his breath. Because he's led you to a place of rest. And he is at rest. Now let me tell you, that news is so good, it can almost not be understood. It needs to be believed. Faith is a higher knowledge. I'm persuaded of this because of the spirit that brings the truth and the reality of this into my heart. Amen. You are loved of God. You are the apple of His eye. You are the pearl of great price. Where He sold everything to get a hold of you for the value that He saw in you. And by what He paid, He gave you value. Amen. You are the treasure that was hidden in the field. And somebody saw that treasure and sold everything He had to buy the land to get you. Amen. For you are of that value to God. Thank you, my Father, for your good news. Thank you, my Father. I worship you today. Isaiah 54 says, verse 9 and 10, it's a well-known scripture. You know, today I just said, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? He says, man, just preach all those old love scriptures. That my people can feel loved. You know, and as I preach this, I just feel such a love of God. The goodness of God. Isaiah 54, you know that scripture, it says, 
as the waters, he says, this is as the waters of Noah unto me. As I have sworn that the waters of Noah will no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. Now listen, if God says, I have sworn, the Bible says, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. It was no need that God would swear because he's not a man that he should lie. So God cannot lie. He made an oath and he did swear. That he will not be angry with you or rebuke you. In what? In the covenant of Jesus Christ. Now isn't that awesome? (laughs) So the waters of Noah can come over the earth and flood this planet again, which is impossible, for God has given us a rainbow and a sign that will never happen again. He says, in the same way, He will never be angry with you or rebuke you. So, what He was saying by that is, in the same way, the law can never make you guilty before God again. For He has taken it away. The only thing that you can be guilty of in the New Testament is the blood of Jesus. Where you've trampled underfoot the blood of Christ and rejected this wonderful sacrifice. The Bible says, uh, and that's a hard thing to say, but it is like this. It says, if under the law, by two or three witnesses, somebody could be stoned and killed if he disobeyed the law of Moses. It says, how much sore a punishment will there not be for those who reject the sacrifice? So, we, there is a place where we accept the sacrifice. It's a pleasure to say, God, I make use of what you've done for me. So he says, as pertaining to the law, you can never be guilty before God again. He can never be angry with you. He can never, never, never be angry with you because it was taken away by the blood of Jesus. It says, the hills might depart and the mountains be removed. Now, when we went through Tanzania, I mean, we went there by plane, I was looking out the window and then all of a sudden I saw a mountain coming here. I mean, on the level of the plane. I mean, you've been in those, those planes are high. I mean, the mountains are small down there. And all of a sudden, here's this mountain, Kilimanjaro. That thing is high. I tell you. This massive mountain. Now, the chance that Kilimanjaro will be in the ocean tomorrow is much bigger than God being angry with you. We're talking about an impossibility here. Think of it. Just think of it. He will never, he said, never be angry with you. Hallelujah. And that just gives us boldness to come to his throne. That gives us boldness to make our hearts open before him and speak to him about our distresses, to speak to him about our joys, our fears. Whatever there is, whatever desire we might have, we can come boldly because that's how much He loves us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me read a scripture in Micah. Oh, is it not Hosea? No, it's not Hosea. Listen to this. Micah... Seven, the last part. It's in, in, in the message. It says, Where is the God 
who can compare with you. Wiping the slate clean of guilt. Turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to past sins of your purged and precious people. Now listen to what he says here. Where is the God that can be compared with this God? That wipes away all guilt from the slate. That turns a blind eye and a deaf ear to past sins. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? You don't nurse your anger and you don't stay angry long. For mercy is your speciality. That's what you love most. It's in the Bible. Can you believe that's in the Bible? So many times you read the Bible, feel so condemned. But that's what it says there. It says mercy is his speciality. That is what he loves most. That's what he loves most. It's like going and, uh, um, and you know you're going to eat at your, uh, at your neighbor's house. They're going to prepare what they love most to prepare. And that might be leg of lamb or this or that or whatever. But when you go to God and you're going to sit down to feast at His table, what He will prepare for you is mercy. No condemnation. Having no consciousness of sin. What are we eating today? We're eating no consciousness of sin. Hallelujah. And for dessert, we're having righteousness as a free gift. Amen. And what was the main meal? Unconditional love, free from our works. That's what he says, come and eat with me. For what I love most is to be merciful to you and to remove your sins and not even mention them. Because when I look at you, I am absolute content with the work of the cross manifested in you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And compassion is on its way to us. Now remember, this was Old Testament still prophesying towards the new. So now we can say compassion has reached us. You stamped out all wrongdoing. You sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. You'll stay true to your word to Father Jacob and continue the compassion you showed in Grandfather Abraham. What was the compassion God showed in Grandfather Abraham? That Grandfather Abraham could just believe that God made a promise to a sinner, Abraham, and, and Abraham believed that God had the ability to bless a sinner, free from works, and that was accounted to him for righteousness. That is it. That is the compassion on Abraham. Everything you promised our ancestors for a long time ago, hallelujah, is being done to us. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I've read this scripture in, I think it's Hosea as well. When I was paging through, I saw this. Let me see if I can find that, that, that piece here. It says here, yeah, from the middle somewhere, Hosea 11. It says, My people are hell-bent on leaving me. They pray to God Baal for help. He doesn't lift a finger to help them. But how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I turn you loose, Israel? How can I leave you to be ruined like Adma and devastated like luckless Zeboam? I can't bear to even think such thoughts. My insides turn in protest. And so I am not going to act in my anger. I'm not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? And this is the most beautiful part of the scripture. It says, because I am God and not a human. 
I am the Holy One and I am here in your very midst. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He says, my people are hell-bent on leaving me. But I'm not going to destroy them. I'm not going to act in my anger. He says, why? Because I am God and not a human. Isn't that awesome? And that God that said, I'm not a human, that I should punish people, became a human being. And obeyed on our behalf all the requirements to meet the level of righteousness of God. And then gave, he didn't come as just for himself, because he himself was already holy. He came on behalf of us all, so that he could be, obey on our behalf, die on our behalf, be resurrected on our behalf, that we can today make use of this sacrifice and say, I am as he is because of his doing. So we cannot boast in our own ability, but we can at least make full use of his sacrifice. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me tell you something. You are not honoring God by saying, well, I'm only, I'll only make use a little bit of the sacrifice and then add my efforts. That's not honoring God. If I came to you and I buy you a house and I give you, put a car in the house and an air conditioner, and a this, and a that, and a whatever, and there's a, a flat next to the house, and the whole thing, and you say to me, thank you so much, you know, I was out on the street, but all I actually need is just the flat, because I'll, I'll come right, you know, by, you know, that's all I need, thank you for helping me with this little bit. No, no, you honor me if you make full use of everything. The car, the aircon, the dishwasher, the everything. Make use of everything, for I have paid for it all. So, we honor God by making full use of His sacrifice. We honor God by saying, God, I want to say to you, I will not ever try for once by my works to gain any favor with you ever, and by and, and I believe it to the point that I will never even mention any of my good works before you. For I make use of only one good work, that is Jesus. Hallelujah. God's work on behalf of us. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord, for your great love. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to just go through one scripture more. The love of God <clears throat> on earth has been portrayed in a certain way. And the way it was portrayed was God became a human being, obeyed on our behalf, died on our behalf. That was the manifestation of love towards us. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that those that believe can be saved. Okay? So that is the way in which God manifested His love. But if we must take the love of God and put it into human actions, into everyday living. This is how God would live. Luke chapter 6. And I end off with this. Thank you, Father. Thank you, my Father. Verse 27. <clears throat> Listen to this. 
This is not a command on how we should live. And when I say this, you might get the shivers down your spine thinking, but Jesus always commanded us to say that. It was a command under the law, but he, he was saying something different through this. He was trying to portray the person of God. You know, we cannot believe in a God that our system does not allow to trust. I cannot marry a woman that, what is, that doesn't, uh, uh, how can I say, sy draai die goedkeuring van wie ek is weg. You know, there's certain things that, when it comes to marriage, that I, that must be in my wife. Otherwise, I will not be able to marry her. She, she mu- there must be a thing where I know I can trust her. If that is not there, I cannot commit myself to her. It's impossible. There must be trust. There must be love. There must be tenderness. There's things that there must be. Otherwise, I will not be drawn to it. And the same way with us and God. There's certain things of God that we must see in order for us to open up our hearts and come close to God and have a relationship with God. There's just certain things that we must see. And it was all portrayed in Jesus. But it's been twisted by religion to the point that nobody wants anything to do with the church. The reason, let me tell you something, the reason why people, um, if there's people out there doesn't want to come to church, this must be the only reason. I hate the gospel of grace. That must be the only reason. That must be the only reason. It shouldn't be, the pastor steals my money. They talk too much about money. This guy slept around. I always feel condemned. I feel guilty. I feel I'm never going to make it. That should not be the reasons. The only reason why people should not be in church or should not have a relationship with God is because they reject this gospel. That must be the only reason. But there are so many millions of other reasons today. Because, of the, because the gospel has been perverted and the God portrayed to people is... Their hearts cannot accept such a person. It's like I've said, um, uh, 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 this one preacher, Alan, Alan said at the conference, he said, the things that we ascribe to God, if we put that in a human being, they'll lock him up in jail. And then we say, trust him. Well, this guy, he's the type of guy that if you don't obey him, he'll break your leg. Now, if my son doesn't obey me and I break his leg, they're going to take him away and put me in jail. Isn't it? If somebody, if if my worker doesn't obey me and I organize somebody to steal his car because he didn't obey me and they get to know it, I'm going to jail. For I'm part of organized crime. But that's what we think of God. That's what we've been portrayed in churches about God. If you don't listen, you know, if you don't listen, He's not going to help you, He's going to give you cancer. If I today go and they can find that I put food, sold any food to anybody, if it was willfully, that could give him cancer, what do you think would happen to me? Man, it's a court case, newspapers. 
But that's what people believe about God. We've opened the door, you know, God's protection was taken away because you've done this and this. And God's taking you through this hard time to purify you and teach you. That is not the gospel, my friend. There was this guy on TV the other day. I, I, I couldn't believe it when I, when I heard this. He said, a guy came forward and said, listen, the pastor, you know, when I got 2,000 rand a month, I could tithe. But now I got 20,000 a month and now I cannot tithe anymore. That 2,000 is just too much for me. Would you please pray for me that I can tithe? You know, because I want to tithe. Because this guy hammered on the tithe. You know what the guy preached on live television, what he said to the guy? He said, God, I pray, take away the 20,000, give him the 2,000 so that he can tithe again. Because he can only tithe when he's got 2,000. I must be honest, I struggle to feel the love of God towards a guy that preaches that. I feel angry <laughs> when I hear that. Yes, this guy, he, he comes, you know, God, please, help me that I can tithe. Well, take away his 20, God. Give him two again. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It is scary. And now, now the people in church, they listen to that. They go away in their hearts. There's a resistance to that. Because nobody, nobody can say that is love. But now because the, the guy who says it, says it in a deep enough voice, and he's got that black book under his arm. Well, if I don't listen... Now you, you will go there and use willpower because the only thing that will drive you there is a fear of hell. Because, well, if I don't do what he says, I'm going to go to hell. And I tell you, hell is, this is bad, but hell must be worse. So if I must choose between the two, where will I go? Let me at least go to the bad place and the badder place. <laughs> no, that's church. That is church. And it's a problem. I don't say every church, but a lot of the places like that. And that's why people don't go. Because what must be portrayed in God must be a character and an action that draws you towards God. Now it says here in Luke chapter 6, portraying the character of God in, in, in human actions today. Um, th this is actions outside the cross. This is just if Jesus lived on earth and he was this normal guy, what would he have done? It says here in Luke chapter 6, from verse 27. Now, why? where's my Luke now? Um, so, but I say unto you, love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully uses you. And unto him which smites you on the one cheek, offer the other. And him that takes away your cloak, forbid not your coat also. Give to every man that asks of you. And of him that takes away your goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do also to them likewise. And if you love them which love you, what thank do you have? For sinners love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank do you have? For sinners also even do the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank do you have? 
For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as, as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again and your reward shall be great. And now listen to this. And you shall be the offspring of the highest, the children of God. For he is kind unto the unthankful and the evil. So what it says, if you can do all these things, you will be the offspring of God. In other words, you'll be born of God. That is actually God manifesting in human flesh. And what are the attributes there? What are the things? If somebody asks of you, you give him all the time. God, if God come in a human form, he will be a person. If you slap him on the one side, he'll turn the other side. If you steal his stuff, he'll say, wait, I see you in need, let me give you more. That's the type of person he would be. If you lend, now listen, if you, if you say, listen, if you give to God, or if you, if, if you lend hoping for something, you are just like sinners. <clears throat> if you give expecting something back, you're just like a sinner. For a sinner gives expecting as much back. You're just like a sinner. And, and, and we, we've, we've made, through the religion, we've made God a sinner. Saying he's a type of God, if you do good to him, he'll do good to you. <clears throat> if you give to him, then he will give to you. No, no. That's not God. That's not who he is. We've always read that as a command, saying, listen, you must do all these things. Let me tell you something, no man can do these things. That is trying to show you who God is. He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Now think of somebody evil. I've been in jail, you know, preaching to people there. I tell you, there are people there that's evil. You look in his eyes, you see, this guy is evil. He'll molest children. He'll murder people. He'll kill you without thinking. He's evil. The Bible says God is kind to the evil. And now through the gospel of the world, we've preached a message that says that God can, cannot even bless a guy that's tried very hard. Where God is kind to the evil. And we've made God, God the greatest sinner. For He needs this very high level of commitment, this very high level of giving, this very high level of sacrifice, before He will do anything for you. It's a lie. It's not the gospel. The Bible says he looked at the world, sinners, and he looked at sinners and said, I lay my life down for, for sinners. He, he came to the, the, the Jewish people. I tell you, they were one of the most rebellious people ever. He came to his own. He called the Jewish people that always rejected and killed the, the, the prophets all the time. He called them his own. I come to my own. And then even his own didn't receive him. <laughs> but he still called them, these people that doesn't receive me, I call them my own. Isn't that awesome? God came to Abraham, the Bible says, and after Abraham gave Isaac up on the mountain, God says, now I know that you love me. That means before that, he gave him all those things without even knowing as if he loves him. He gave his gave to Abraham. Not because of Abraham's love for God, but because of God's love for Abraham. This Bible is not a you commitment to God story. It's God's commitment to you story. 
This is not a you story, it's a God story. It's God's story. It's the book about how God saves you.